0: Welcome to the Improv London Spa. While you relax every part of your body, listen to my voice as I tell you about the Improv Boost, begun by David Escobedo from Los Angeles, with the goal of giving smaller improv teams and improv companies more visibility online. His secondary objective is to bring together improv communities from around the world. Find them on Facebook and Twitter, at Boost Improv. As of April 2018, David is working on International Improv, a team of improv performers from around the world coming together to perform at Hootlpa Improv. And, by invitation only, improvisers from different teams around Los Angeles coming together to do an online improv show. Relax. 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 It's episode 94 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses. And this week's guest is Rachel Thorne. I
1: Hi Rachel, how are you? (laughs) Yeah, I'm unbelievably well at this current point in time because I'm at the British Improv Project weekend. And I think it's true to say that literally every single second of this weekend has been amazing. Brilliant. Yeah, genuinely.
0: Have you been staying up really late?
1: Uh, Yes, which is quite a big deal for me because I always wake up at half past six in the morning. Right. So for me to be up at 2am singing living on a prayer, (laughs) while that is how I want to spend my time, it's not often how I choose to spend my time because I pay such a price in the morning.
0: (laughs) Uh, so is this your first British Info project? It is, cool. yes.
1: So the guys back home in Sheffield have been coming, I think, since its inception. And every six months they come back and go, Oh, we did this amazing thing. There's this awesome guy. Oh, they taught us this thing. Oh, she's so cool. And each time I've been like, Huh, how want I, wanna, I wanna do the... hmm.
0: <laughs> Uh So uh, it's hard to ask, but what's been the highlights so far?
1: Oh, uh, do you know... Yesterday, I did three workshops in formats that I'm not familiar I'm familiar with, them, but I'm not experienced in them. I don't have stage time in them. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I really put myself out of my comfort zone. And it was so great to be out of my comfort zone, challenging myself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I did Armando's with Tom Young, um, which was brilliant. So unlike the narrative, emotionally grounded stuff I usually do. And then I did two music things with oh, Tom Hodge. Brilliant. And he is so... So good musically and on the keyboard, yes. and it was so much fun to sing.
0: Yes, I was there for uh, the uh, short form improv and the uh, doing the cell block tango. Yes, that's my new favorite thing in improv. My new favorite thing is the cell
1: block <laughs> tango. So I didn't even, I it turns out I haven't seen Chicago. Ah. Who knew? <laughs> I, didn't. I thought I had, but I think I maybe just saw billboards or something. So I didn't know what it was going to be, and it was like, oh, did you? Did you look into my soul and see that this was going to be the exact thing I would love more than anything?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know what, I, what it was going to be. I, mean, I love musical improv in general, so I didn't know that was what that was going to be. But that was... Uh, turns out that's all I want to do in life.
1: <laughs> Make it so.
0: <laughs> I'll do my best. I'll do my best. Cool. Uh, so your perhaps best known for being in crime scene improvisation?
1: Yeah, well I hope that that's what I'm best known for because it's the longest running show that I've done. And I uh, founded it, co-founded it with Lee Apsey and um, I am genuinely really, really proud that Lee and I met at a hoopla weekend and went, oh we click, we should start a show, what should we do? Hey. I bet Murder Mystery is a good idea. Who should we get involved? We've got people on board, built the show. And uh, yeah, in this Edinburgh, we're playing at Underbelly.
0: Fantastic. So
1: I feel really proud that I've literally taken nothing and created something fabulous.
0: That's amazing. So what's the format of the show?
1: It's an improvised murder mystery. That sounds hard. Uh, it sounds hard. Yeah. Well, do you know, as improvisers, the very first challenge we sat down with uh, in our very first rehearsal room was... If we kill off a cast member, that person doesn't get any more stage time. Um, And there are um, improvised murder mysteries where they do kill off cast members. um, But our solution straight away was for the dead body to be uh, fictitious from the start. And then that leads in really clearly to that being the get from the audience. So the audience creates the fictitious murder victim. And it means that straight away they have a stake in the story because they've created the central focus, which is this person who's died. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that's how we start the show.
0: Cool. So uh, what are you asking for from the audience?
1: Uh, we ask for the victim's name mm-hmm. and the their occupation. And the occupation is crucial for us as improvisers because that sets the world. Ah. Um, yeah. Guess which occupations we get most?
0: Taxidermist? Taxidermist, exactly! (laughs) And... Dentist? Not so much. Uh, Gynaecologist. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's so lovely that people come to the show literally buzzing (laughs) at how creative that they've been. (laughs) And they're going to say the word taxidermist to the point that we've actually put in the programme. Hey, come up with a profession. We've done taxidermist. Wow. (laughs) But even better, I was at um, a creative, a Mothers in the Creative Arts meeting at the Crucible Theatre last week. And we went round saying what we do, I'm an actress, blah, blah. And one woman was a taxidermist. (laughs) (laughs) And I was just so excited to meet somebody who was a professional taxidermist.
0: (laughs) Tell me every single thing about your life because I need to put it on stage quite regularly.
1: Upstairs in her house, she's got a chest freezer full of dead birds. She writes to people asking for dead birds so she can stuff them. She was amazing. (laughs) Um, so yes, we take the occupation and that sets the world and then uh, we as a performers, are people who operate within that world. Usually we work in the premises. We're always related to the victim in, in some way, mm. friends, colleagues, relations. And then the last thing we take from the audience is the murder weapon and we try to ask them not for a gun or a knife, mm. but something that really is wacky. Hmm. And because they've given it to us, that gives us permission to be wacky. Right. So uh, it's quite consciously a surreal, silly show. Right. Um, but because that comes from the audience, I think that works rather than being the self-indulgent crazy town stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. So is it narrative? Is yeah. It, yeah.
1: Yeah, so uh, it's the... We have a detective, a bit like the uh, conductor role in Showstopper, and the detective um, is the linking point between the reality that the characters inhabit and the audience. Oh, wow. And yeah, the detective sort of guides the audience on the journey of figuring out who done it. Hmm. And so we have a line up where the audience ask the characters questions. So all, yeah, every character you see is a suspect. Yeah. And uh, the audience grill us in the lineup, which is basically a massive pimping exercise. (laughs) But again, because it's coming from the audience, they have this agency and this really rewarding experience as audience members that they've really created the show. And they take great delight in really messing us up. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And it always gets really tangled and convoluted. But not in an unclear way yeah, that you yeah, do yeah. sometimes see an improvisation, but because it's all gifted to us by the audience, yeah. um, it it gives us permission to give them the show that they're creating.
0: Yeah. yeah. So so you have the characters in a lineup, and yeah. then you, you invite the audience to name them or give them.
1: No. So um, we start off learning about the murder scene uh, with the CSI, and then we meet the characters, and so we have like. I guess maybe a third of the show is pure scenes hmm. between the characters, establishing who they are, establishing motivations. Why might any of them have killed the victim? What are the relationships between the people? What secrets have they got? And that's pure narrative improvisation. Hmm. And then the detective brings them on, and that's when the lineup starts. Ah. And the lineup is the uh, what's the term for this? The pre. Climax point. Yes. (laughs) Well-known pre-climax point. Yes. It's so like the well-known pre-climax point. (laughs) Um, That's what we're building to. So it's getting to the point of where one of these people actually killed this person. And then we have one final scene and a detective comes out and says, okay, so we know who did it. And the audience go, do we? (laughs) And then they pick who's done it.
0: Ah, lovely. Lovely. Yeah.
1: So we don't know who's done it. As the performers, the audience are trying to solve a problem which doesn't exist, which is um, (laughs) a lovely thing for an audience member, I think, to be really engaged in something which is literally being created before their eyes. And then to have that agency and control where they go, and it's a public vote situation where they vote for who's done it. And then, as the performers, we have to account for why we've done it, factoring in all of the things that we mentioned in the show, all of the things that came out in the lineup. So yeah, it's an exercise in tying everything together. Wow. Um, ideally in a hilariously funny way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'd settle for being funny or tying it up. If you're going to do both, that's yeah, awesome. we do both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do both.
1: We've been doing the show uh, for a good three years now. Yeah. So yeah. we're so comfortable with each other we're so comfortable with pimping each other throwing stuff in all the things that when you first teach beginners improvisation you don't you you ask them not to do because we're so comfortable with each other we can use those things to enhance the show like pimping each other
0: yeah I mean this is the whole thing there are good ideas good practice when you're starting but then you know you leave those training wheels behind when you've got a bit more experience and you know the group that you're working with.
1: At drama school, one of the things we really talked about was how rules are there to be broken. You only need a rule because there is an alternative, which is to break that rule. Mm. And once you've got the rules, that's when the fun really starts with breaking them.
0: Mm. Uh, So did you first do improvisation at drama school?
1: That's right, yeah. Um, actually I, th- I think I've had the reverse journey into improvisation than most improvisers, so a lot of people start off in short form yeah. and then want a bit more and go into long form, but I went to a drama studio in London and improvisation was taught there by Phil Whelan from Grand yeah. Theft Impro yeah. and Oliver Senton who was in Showstopper yeah. at the time and it just came into the room and it was like, games, messing about, lovely, that's not what we're here for. Um, we're here, you know, here to create real scenes about real people. We're just, um, in inventing it on the spot. You have to be clear. You have to establish who you are. You have to care about who you are, believe who you are. And, um, oh man, it was just so brilliant. It was just like light bulbs going off in your head. Like I knew when I went to drama school, I don't know what it is that I'm going to learn, but I'm hoping it's going to be awesome. Mm. And it was like. Opening a door in your house, and there being a mansion on the other side <laughs> of the door that you didn't know was there, and you get to go in and play it, playing it, and everybody you meet in every room is really engaging and fabulous and friendly, and it was it was brilliant. Um, and it's uh, the flip side is it's quite hard being um, it's quite hard being an actress, not because acting is hard, but because not acting really kills you, um, and. There are so many fewer parts for women, and I look like quite a lot of other actresses. I don't have anything particularly distinctive, and I came to it when I was a bit older as well, and my parents aren't in the film industry. So uh, it's quite hard to get acting work, but improvisation, that door's always open. There's always improvisers, you can always play, and also you can build your own shows and be in charge of your own career, which is is, uh, very grounding and keeps you sane. Mm.
0: So, when you were creating Crime Scene Improvisation with Lee, were you already murder mystery fans or did you then study the genre?
1: No, I don't think any of us know the best thing about murder <laughs> mysteries.
0: <laughs> and that's not important?
1: Um, no, it's really important. <laughs> My advice to anybody creating a show, because I was um, also in Upstairs downturn, which was very clearly based on... Uh, that sort of soap opera period drama style of five years ago. And I also created Scriptless in Seattle, which is an improvised rom-com. And we totally studied the genre for those things and we watched all the shows. And if you're going to create a long-form narrative show... And study the genre that you're creating.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think the reason, honestly, the reason we didn't study the genre of murder mysteries is because they're so ubiquitous. Right, yeah, you yeah, actually yeah. do have it in your DNA, you do actually know how a murder mystery works. So we didn't do the formalised studying process which I think for the vast majority of genres, the vast majority of people should go through.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. fair enough. Um,
1: <laughs> I feel like I should just clarify, it wasn't just Lee and I who created it. Right. Lee and I met and decided to form the group, and then we got um, Nicola and James and Sarah on board, and the five of us created the show. And then Steve and Danielle joined us, and then we recruited Alex and Kaylee for uh, Edinburgh a couple of years ago.
0: Fantastic. Let's talk about upstairs dancing. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> Uh, So, yeah, tell me about your experiences with that.
1: Oh, it was just so fun. It was such a lovely cast. Um, I was uh, cast through an audition process rather than creating it from the start. And I think, as an actor, that's uh, quite important that you're not always creating your own work because what if you're rubbish and you do need (laughs) validation? Other people want to cast you (laughs) and work with you. uh, Yeah, and I had a, a great time doing period drama because. I think probably as an actor, my dream would probably be, you know, period, genuine period drama, the wigs and the bodices and all of that. Um, until that happens, I quite enjoyed getting my practice skirt on and being in upstairs Downton period drama land. And the language is just such a gift when you're doing a period drama. Um, and I was also pregnant while I was doing that show. Wow. Uh, so we did Leicester Comedy Festival, gigs in London, and then Edinburgh, I did Seven Months Pregnant, which is where the practice skirt was also a fabulous costume choice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so a practice skirt is?
1: Um, it's a massive, long, wraparound skirt that you use in drama school, yeah. quite often in dance things where you're doing period dancing or in uh, period acting, you need the costume. Right Uh, because it really affects the way you move if you've got a great big massive heavy skirt on Ah. and down to the ground. Yeah, it just um, changes the way you're present in the space when you're dressed like that. Ah. And uh, it also wraps around a pregnant tummy bump, which is handy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So, because there's the debate, if you are seven months pregnant, do you...
1: Are you a pregnant character? Is that what you're going to say? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I was and sometimes I wasn't. Sometimes... We used it. I remember one show where Jonah Fazell was my husband and I as his wife was trying to get more affection from him and I was like stroking the bump and I was like I just don't feel like you really see me and understand me and and know what's going on in my life. Massive laugh because massive you know, pregnancy tummy.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: but then sometimes I wasn't pregnant and I think with a lot of improvisation you can play something very outside who you are. So a lot of shows... Girls can play guys, guys can girls. It depends on the aesthetics of the show and what you're trying to achieve. Um, but pregnancy was just the same as that. And what was also quite funny was when audience members thought I had just had stuck a jumper up my top or something. <laughs> which would be a weird thing to do. I'm going to be pregnant in this show, get the jumper, stick it up there.
0: <laughs> so... Uh, We actually haven't spoken to uh, anyone about Upstairs Downtown, so can you just remind us what the the form for that show was?
1: Yeah, it was um, just like on the telly, only made up.
0: (laughs) Wow, brilliant, fantastic. Let's move on. (laughs) Um, So, you recently moved to Sheffield?
1: Fairly recently. recently. Yeah, so bottom line, couldn't afford a bedroom to put the baby in in London. Um, I'm from Sheffield, grew up in Sheffield, and quite didn't want to have a baby without my mum around the corner. Um, So for family, personal reasons, went back to Sheffield and it was like moving home. I love Sheffield so much. It's part of me. It's a fabulous place to live. But oh my God, the wrench of leaving the improvisation scene in London was so hard. It's horrible. And um, special love to the crime scene improvisation gang for just... I basically had maternity leave from Crimes Improvisation and then when my daughter was um, eight months old I went down and did Camden Fringe with them and then when she was a year old I rejoined the cast and they were just so fabulous and welcomed me back Brilliant. and made it work that they're based in in and around London and I'm in Sheffield. It just means, uh, we just have to plan more. Like we're going to have a full day workshop. Okay. We need to put that like, six weeks in advance because that's how Rachel can get the train tickets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it just takes like a little notch of extra organization for this fabulous thing to happen.
0: Yeah. I mean, I found that with, with uh, when I had children, it's suddenly you can't be spontaneous. There has to be yeah, plans made. Absolutely. Um, and it sounds like you're in the situation where at least the group is established and committed enough. Um, because I always find the, the difficult thing with improvised gr- groups is, is the getting the people together yeah, it's to hard. rehearse. Yeah, it's very hard. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, how how who who does the admin in CSI?
1: The joy of CSI is that there are nine of us, so we split the admin very fairly. So I do the press. Um, Sarah produces a lot of the shows. James does the social media, um, and then we have like a doodle poll system for booking in. Uh, rehearsals this is quite a boring thing to no, talk about isn't I think it I think I'm <laughs> I, I
0: generally interested in the admin of the groups because it's not the glamorous side but it is the essential side it's for things to so add, crucial I yeah. have been
1: involved in improvisation situations where that doesn't happen yeah. and you are what's the expression I don't know cutting off your nose despite your face or something like you're failing on the boring simple admin and spoiling the fabulous improvisation just by not doing a doodle poll and yeah. arranging it when people can be there yeah So, yes, we have a lot of doodle polls. Um, It won't be unusual for me to check my phone and there to be 5, 10, 15 CSI emails. Who can do this show? Who's around for that? Who's getting the chairs sorted for Edinburgh? Um, Everyone double-check your diary because this show wants to book us. Who can do it? Um, Exciting things like booking shows right down to very boring things (laughs) (laughs) like which kind of chair should we buy for edinburgh run this year are we going to leave the chair in edinburgh what sort of chairs are you going to get well you see we want um something portable but not something flimsy nice it's a challenge an improv challenge
0: sounds a good choice
1: James is in charge of chairs.
0: Good. I will, I will make sure I speak to him for an hour <laughs> on chairs. Okay. Uh, so you're performing in Edinburgh this year. Is this yeah. the first time CSI have been up?
1: No. So we did uh, Free French a couple of years ago. Last year we were at Just the Tonic and this year we are at Underbelly. Wow. Yeah. Proper venue.
0: Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, we count... All of our experiences in Edinburgh is proper. Yes, that's right.
0: Some are more proper than <laughs> Some others. Some are more proper than others.
1: Yeah, when we first took the show up, um, as a cast, we weren't very experienced in doing Edinburgh. Um, we didn't have much money. We didn't know how the show was we going to be received. All of the challenges that all shows are facing. And I actually wasn't there, but I hear the story goes as they walked down to their first gig um, at Cab um, James was saying, guys, we might get there, there might be no audience at all, we've just got to keep flying. we've just got to keep leaving the show, there might be nobody there. And they walked into the room, and the room was full before they'd even arrived. Wow. And every single day of that Edinburgh, we turned away. Like on a Tuesday, a few dozen people. Yeah. On a Saturday, 150 people had to be turned away. Wow. The queue was up through Cabbal, out the door, the venue ran out of drinks and things because there were so many people drinking in it who weren't seeing our show all the other acts who were on around the same time as us had full audiences yeah. was people going oh we're going to see them instead because csi is full i had friends who i said you have to turn up early they were getting there half an hour early we were full an hour before the show kicked off wow it was amazing. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful. And it's really, I think, when you do a run like Edinburgh that you find out what your show is yeah, yeah, and you yeah. find out the parameters of it and how much you can push each other and w- what different types of audiences are going to respond to. Um, so then last year, uh, when we were applying to venues, um, I think maybe the venues didn't believe us. Because it's like, yeah, we turn away one hundred and fifty people every day. Sounds like a lie, but it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a lie. No, true story. True story. That's
0: <laughs> that's what we love. Uh, so, yeah. Why? So what, we. Mean, is it, is it why? Really, Excuse
1: me. Well, I'm here to
0: ask the different <laughs> questions. My idea would be that it's a clear idea that non-improvise audience can understand.
1: I think you've hit the nail on the head there because actually the vast majority of our audiences aren't improvisers. Definitely. I meet improvisers you know, reasonably often and they very rarely have seen our show. Mm. Um, and when we do the shout out at the beginning, yeah, give us a cheer if you've seen improvisation before. It's really common for there to be more people who have never seen improvisation in our audience yeah. than people who have. Um, and I think it probably is... Um, Uh, yeah the clarity of the genre Mm. which is um also helpful from an improvisation perspective because then you know what you're trying to achieve sometimes in improvisation situations you can do um a really good piece of work but you don't really know why and so you analyze it to death and then you go no i think we've got it and then you do the same thing the next week and it flops and you didn't feel connected and you didn't know what the story was you were telling you think well why why was that but the great one of the many great things about CSI is we know what we're doing. We're telling a murder mystery. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: yeah. And that um, is helpful for selling tickets as well. <laughs> fantastic, fantastic.
0: So yeah, can we talk a little bit about your move to Sheffield and then discovering short form?
1: Yes, exactly. So I think many improvisers start in short form. Yeah. But I had not done any. I trained at drama school and then I joined DownTown and created CSI, and. Then moved up to Sheffield um, to have the baby. And there wasn't any long form in Sheffield. So I joined Shrimps, which is the University Improvisation Society. And they were so friendly and welcoming and fun and full of energy. And it was brilliant. And Joe was an artistic director at the time. And Hugh had been the year before. So I basically learnt my short form from Joe and Hugh. And it was so great to be learning something new again, especially after maternity leave. You learn a lot on maternity leave. Mm. <laughs> but it's... It's not so joyful as <laughs> improvisation, um, and uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I love doing short form with them. But quite quickly, I was like, "This is great, guys! Hey, how about we do my thing now?"
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, so I invited a few of them to see if we wanted to form a long form show. We agreed between ourselves we would do a rom com, and then we created scriptless in Seattle. Cool. And because they didn't have long form experience at the time. I was kind of coaching them while we were building the format of the show. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So, what's the format of the show?
1: Well, that show was an improvised rom-com. yeah. Yeah. You'd learned
0: from your experience uh, of uh, uh, Murder Mysteries. Uh, yeah,
1: I, so I knew how to build a show. Uh, although you never stop learning, because I learned so much by... Um, by creating a different show in a different scenario with different people and different objectives. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, we had loads of fun doing Scriptless in Seattle. Um, it does The show doesn't exist anymore. We, oh, right. we did um, Leicester Comedy Festival last year and we were nominated for Best Improv Show. But it was a bit weird because at the time the category was Best Musical slash Improv Show. Okay. So not Musical Improv. All the musical shows were eligible and... All the improvisation shows were eligible, Ooh. and then the person who won it was the Elvis Dead, which is Rob Kemp. Right. If you ever are in a place <laughs> where the Elvis <laughs> Dead is on, go and see that show because it is unlike anything. So he not only won musical slash improv, he also won best show at Leicester right. Comedy Festival. Okay, fair enough. So we, our egos were mollified <laughs> when he won best show at the festival, and then. Um, Yeah, and then he then went on to have a really, really good Edinburgh last year. I can't remember exactly what his awards are, but if Uh, you look him up, he is, like, studded with awards now. And he's such a nice guy, and he's so cool. This year, at Leicester Comedy Festival, they've separated out the Musical and Improvisation Ah. Awards. So, it's a bit less weird this year.
0: And then most recently, your
1: Most recently, I have created a two-prov show called Between Us, which is me and Alex. And Alex was in Scriptless in Seattle as well. And in the process of building Scripless in Seattle, we really broke down the physical boundaries between us as performers. And we actually, I mean, we used to have kissing rehearsals where we would practice kissing each other because you really need the kiss in a rom-com. Yes. Uh, it was usually how we ended a show. Um, a lot of performers find it very difficult to kiss other people. A lot of performers don't, just don't want to kiss people on stage. So we just treated that like anything else. You know, you might work on grounding in a scene one day and then kissing in a scene the next day. And um, we had a lot of fun, like, taking the mickey out of romantic relationships yeah. when we were doing scriptless in Seattle. But then I think Alex and I were both a bit like, yeah, but what if it's a real relationship? What if we're not ultimately playing it for laughs? What if we explore, using the tool of improvisation, what it is to be in love and how hard it is to maintain a relationship when you are two separate individuals? So between us, um, it's often really funny because it's improvisation, but it's not a comedy, it's a drama. And uh, I feel really, really blessed and lucky that one week I can perform crime scene improvisation and it's very silly, very surreal, very funny, lots of um, willy jokes. And <laughs> then, the next week, Alex and I will perform a straight drama where we're really exploring what it is to be in a relationship.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and I love that improvisation is able to do all of those things.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, we did a show at the Bristol Improv Theatre last weekend which is amazing. Everybody goes to the Bristol Improv Theatre. I, it was I've
0: been talking a lot about Bristol in this podcast. Sometimes when I've been trying to talk about other places. But
1: <laughs> well, they've earned it because yes. they have put in so much work and created something so fabulous. Um, and, yeah, we had a great show in Bristol. It was brilliant. Um, but I, I don't think we set out to do this, but we ended up telling um, a story in which there was postnatal depression. And if you asked me, should you deal with cancer, abortion, postnatal depression, improvisation, I'd say, no way. Audiences don't want to sit through that. That is not what audiences go out to the theatre to see. But it's one of those rules which is there to be broken because uh, we earned the seriousness of the story by building the emotional truth between those two characters to that point.
0: Yeah, wow.
1: Yeah, it was really intense, actually. Yeah. Honestly, doing between us is genuinely very intense. I quite often experience an emotional hangover afterwards where I'm still carrying around what was happening to that character. I think that does happen in scripted productions, but when you've created the words, not from your head, but from the situation which is arising in front of you and from what is going on between you and one other person, it's very engaging and very intense and you give such a lot of your... emotional self to create that person, it's very hard to then just take, sh- shrug that person off and move on.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, after one show that we did in Sheffield, I had um, like a trembling fit after the show and my whole body was, was trembling with the emotion of it and I, I couldn't get warm and I was just so oh. cold from it. Yeah. I don't know if the audience felt like that, but I did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm sure I did, I'm sure I did. <laughs> Okay, so uh, two big final questions. I feel three is the magic number, but I've only got two. (laughs) So, uh, if you're performing with somebody, um, what can they do to delight you?
1: Oh, that's a lovely question. What can somebody do to delight me? Um, They could make it real. I think um, an awful lot of eye contact is really special and really important, and they could take whatever it is that we're talking about, whatever is happening, and then bring it back to the relationship between those two characters, and then when that happens as an improviser, something in me goes, oh, it's like a flare, it's like, yes, let's pursue that, what's going on between us.
0: Cool, fantastic. And... The big final question is what's your signature move? (laughs) What's the classic thing that you do? Brings the house down, (laughs) saves the day. I have to tell you this.
1: When Alex and I were driving to the Bristol Improv Theatre, we were listening to your podcast, the Kate Knight episode particularly, because we had the Improv Weekend coming up and we knew Kate was going to be there. And when you asked Kate that, we paused it, and then we both went, what's your signature move? What's your signature move? So I should have my answer already. Oh,
0: I want everyone to do this now. <laughs> Either to pause it and guess their own signature move, or pause and guess what the signature move of the guest what is. What am I going to say? Yeah, Those people say? who
1: know me, I want answers on a postcard <laughs> of what you say at this point. Um, so my signature move in crime scene improvisation... Um, I don't know the other guys would say something which isn't true, they'd say that I'm always really blue, <laughs> and I'm not. I, I don't know where the rude jokes come from, it's not me.
0: <laughs>
1: we had one show in Edinburgh which got pretty blue, and afterwards the others were like, That was quite blue, and I was like, Oh, was it?
0: <laughs> But, see, I don't accept that. I'm not
1: rude. Um, I'm just in the moment.
0: Right, fair enough.
1: Um, But then in between us, um, Alex and I talked about our signature moves, and in between us, um, my signature move is making a cup of tea.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Yeah, in every show we've done so far, the show is reasonably new, I've always made a cup of tea but they've been such different cups of tea Talk and they've had character. such different, exactly such different significance in the characters' lives. Like sometimes it's been a conciliatory cup of tea. Sometimes it's been like that kind of fawning, I want you to love me cup of tea. Um, sometimes it's a really angry, silent cup of tea. <laughs> I, ha- I played quite a ditzy character in a show we did in London who made Alex a cup of tea and then drank it herself and ate his sandwich that she'd just made for him while he was like glowering at her. <laughs> um, yeah, and I don't apologise for there always being cups of tea in between us because that is the British way. It's it a is. fabric of the home life, and yes. that's why my character always has a cup of tea.
0: Fantastic. <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much. Be the guest on the
0: Improv London podcast. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I made this.
1: That's improv! <laughs>